Welcome to this week's edition of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Don Mills. Don, we had a good conversation today, uh, continuing our series on energy in Atlantic Canada. We're doing this intermittently uh, over over the last few weeks and into the future here. Uh, today, we talked about the potential and the opportunity of small modular reactors with uh, uh, Brett uh, Plummer, the, the, the vice president at NB Power. And I think listeners will come away today with some very interesting insights that they may not have known after after hearing this conversation. Yeah, and I'd just like to begin by giving credit to NB Power and New Brunswick for taking the lead on this important um, topic of uh, small uh, nuclear um, uh, generators. I, you know, I didn't know anything about it uh, prior to this conversation. I feel much better informed as a result of it. But, you know, uh, it's appropriate for New Brunswick to take the lead on this. Uh, the only province in the land of Canada that has nuclear power, which has been extremely uh, successful and important for New Brunswick. People don't realize that LaPro has been in, in place since the 80s. Uh, it's it's provided stable, uh, reliable, safe uh, uh, power for, you know, more than 40, almost 40 years, I guess. And so, you know, there's great track record there. They have some expertise. Actually, Brett's uh, title is Chief Nuclear Officer. We don't have many of those in Atlantic Canada, so <laughs> it's appropriate that they're taking the lead on this. And and, you know, I know, and based on the conversation, that the other provinces are paying close attention. And I think that that's, uh, that's an important insight uh, for our, our audience. Yeah, and I think we're not going to solve our energy demand requirements in the next 20 or 30 years without a mix of solutions. I, you know, he's, he's very clear that wind and solar are key players in this, but they cannot solve the problem entirely. Uh, and of course, we've talked about uh, poss- the possibility of tidal energy, and I think as a as a source of base load power or just consistent, uh, 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 always on power. It seems to me, I'm starting to be convinced that SMRs could be a part of that solution. Uh, uh, totally, and, and and in fact, one of the things he mentioned, and I know having worked with um, you know power uh, companies for a long time, that the big worry is peak production. You know, when you know you get the coldest day of the year. And you don't have enough generating capacity to provide the electricity to everybody. You know, it's at, the, at, the, at that point that, uh, you know, you have to look at your alternatives to make sure that they're in place. I mean, we recently had a conversation with uh, John Hawkins, who talked about uh, natural gas as being the, the peak provider. So he didn't have to build generating um, capacity to, to deal with peak. Now, the problem with that is that, you know, we spent the last generation, not generation, but the last decade or so uh, on demand supply management to, to reduce the demand on electricity. Uh, our conversation um, with Brett clearly indicates that we're going to go into a rapid period of growth of demand for electricity. And in fact, I think he said that we could expect over some period of time, probably by 2050, that we're going to have a tripling of demand for electricity to be able to electrify, you know, the 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 cars and and other other things and make a you know make a green uh, um, sort of electricity grid. So you know that's going to take a lot of uh, energy sources and and you know I'm now convinced that SMRs are are at least a part of that solution. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. There was a some organization in the U.S. issued a, a labor market demand forecast, and one of the occupations that they thought was going to go down significantly over the next decade or two was a nuclear power plant operator. 
And I thought they're kind of missing out. They're not actually seeing what's happening on the ground because there's a tremendous effort in Canada, the U.S., Europe, and elsewhere uh, to actually expand the use of nuclear power as a source of clean baseload power to to balance all of the um, all of the renewable energy. When we were talking about those wind turbines, Don, uh, not not uh, turning or not spinning, uh, when the wind's not blowing, I had in my in my head, I had you out there with one of those cranks. This is what I was seeing in my head. You out there trying to get trying to get that wind turbine going. So in yeah. the in the absence of that, I think we actually have to have some serious alternative like uh, like uh, nuclear energy. And, and I think a, you know, a really important point is that you know, uh, one of the reasons that we only have one province in the land of Canada with nuclear power is that there's been a lot of resistance to nuclear power, not just in our region, but across the world because of the issue of perceived issue of safety. And as uh, Brett pointed out, you know, nuclear power is safe. Uh, there has been some accidents that are really human uh, related, not, tech- not related to the technology. And, and with these small uh, modular uh, reactors, uh, they're much safer. And I, I really uh, thought that that was important, um, that, you know, much safer uh, than, than even the current technology, which should give people a lot of solace in terms of this as an al- energy uh, uh, alternative. And I, I think the other thing that people need to understand is that, you know, we're talking about units that will produce between 100 and 300 megawatts, uh, you know, per unit. And, um, you know, um, uh, they're going to play a, a role in terms of replacing fossil fuels for sure. They're not going to be the only source, but, you know, they're talking about being able to produce energy at, you know, the cost of six to eight cents uh, per kilowatt uh, uh, hour. That's, uh, you know, that's very, very competitive, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the size of them is important because you can put them in a lot of different places. Like like he talked about in our conversation, for example, a large mining project might have its own nuclear reactor on site producing the energy needed for that mine. So this ability to scale it from small to larger megawatts, I think, is also a very important uh, uh, part of this. And then finally, I think, Don, uh, he called it a once in a lifetime economic development opportunity. And again, this is the idea that New Brunswick or Atlantic Canadian engineering firms, construction firms, consultants, you know, all these firms in the potential supply chain for SMRs can get good at it here and then export those goods or services around the world. So that's kind of exciting. He called it a billion dollar opportunity. uh, And we could use a few of those in Atlantic Canada. Actually, I think he said billions with an S. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one other thing I just want to mention because I, I, I kind of forgot about this, but like, you know, part of his background was with the U, U.S. Uh, nuclear submarine program, uh, which are small modular reactors. They've been around for decades. This is not this is not new technology that a lot of people, uh, you know, are thinking about. This is technology that has been around for decades and proven. So I think that that's worth mentioning. Yeah, if you watched uh, uh, Top Gun Maverick, uh, the ship uh, used in that uh, is a nuclear-powered ship. So I think there's a lot of secrecy around that. So that's why that's not talked about a lot. But you're absolutely right. Those are small modular reactors that are powering those ships as they sail around the world. So without any further ado, here's our conversation with, uh, with Brett from NB Power uh, on the potential for SMRs in our region. 
Today on the Insights Podcast, we are continuing our series on the energy sector across Atlantic Canada. We are exploring how the region can address climate change while also foster a thriving economy over the next few decades. Our discussion today is on the potential of nuclear energy, particularly small modular reactors or SMRs, both as a provider of energy in the region and also as an economic development opportunity. Brett Plummer, Chief Nuclear Officer and Vice President Point Le Pro Nuclear Power Station at NB Power joins us today to talk about the SMR opportunity. Thanks for joining us, Brett. Thanks, David. Glad to be here. Uh, first, uh, we'd like to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background, Brett. Uh, you know, maybe you could tell us uh, kind of where you were born, your career path, and how you ended up as CNO and VP with NB Power. Sure, and I'll keep it brief. I was born in the United States in New England. And how I got onto the nuclear path was I went into the nuclear Navy at a young age. Um, I went on nuclear submarines and I was trained in engineering watch supervisor, reactor operations, uh, even uh, electronics technician and Navy diver. So when you're in a submarine, you have multiple tasks. Uh, But I was fortunate to get the GI Bill and I was able to finish my education when I got out and ended up with a couple of degrees in business and nuclear engineering technology. But I went to the commercial Navy, excuse me, the commercial nuclear industry when I got out. And I started off in operations, I've operated these reactors for extended period of time, all different reactors, licensed on different reactors. I got into management and ultimately got a reputation for improving plants um, that were having difficult times. So it was just an opportunity at the time. They were looking for somebody to come up in 2015 to help out. Uh, Point the Pro was struggling coming out of refurbishment. And uh, somebody gave me a call. It was an opportunity. Honestly, I live in Maine. I was right across the border. Um, and so I took advantage of that opportunity. And I've been up here helping Point the Pro come out of the refurbishment. We've had several good years. It's still an older plant, even though we went through refurbishment. We still have equipment that we're still working on that uh, has either, either exceeded the end of life and or is approaching the end of life. And so we're continuing to improve the plant from an equipment reliability standpoint. But LaPro has, uh, you know, basically it's one of the backbones of the uh, New Brunswick power structure. So that's kind of a little bit of my background and how I ended up here. Yeah, so uh, Point LaPro is the only nuclear plant in Atlantic Canada. Obviously, uh, maybe maybe you can give people a little background uh, history about nuclear energy in Canada. You know, it's controversial for many people People worry about uh, uh, the safety of nuclear power. Obviously, they uh, they worry about the storage of the rods when they're finished their life cycle. Uh, can you just uh, give our listeners a little brief uh, history of uh, nuclear energy in Canada and in uh, New Brunswick? Sure. I mean, nuclear power was developed in Canada. Canada developed their own unique technology by using natural uranium in heavy water. And so that's where they really got the name, you know, of CAN-DO, Canadian Deuterium Uranium. So it's a pressurized heavy water reactor, started uh, commissioning in Pickering in 1965, all the way through Bruce in 77, and 1983 commissioned Point Le Pro here in New Brunswick. And then in 1993, commissioned the Darlington plant in Ontario. So nuclear has played a role, a significant role, in uh, Canada, specifically in Ontario and New Brunswick. New Brunswick is currently approximately 80%, approximately 80% non-emitting, 
a large part of that is due to the nuclear power plant at Point Pro. So, you know, people are concerned about the safety. Can-do units are very safe. They're Gen 2 plants, and the safety is really driven through defense and depth. So multiple layers of whether it be procedures, people, equipment, backup equipment, so forth. Extremely, uh, there's been no significant issue with Point Lepro over the years. It's a very safely run reactor. And the people here have a great safety culture. As far as the waste, the used fuel, I don't even like using the term waste per se. The used fuel has been stored safely in a very, very small footprint since the plant started right here on site. And most people that come and visit the site and look at the footprint are amazed that the waste from 35 years of generation are literally condensed into these silos on this very small footprint. It wasn't released to the sea, it's not in the ground, it's not in the air, it's controlled and it's been controlled safely across Canada for all this time. And we knew as nuclear professionals that eventually, at some point we would develop fast reactors, fast reactor technology. The technology is already there, but just develop the actual the reactors here in Canada that we can actually reuse, reuse that used fuel and uh, produce electricity and or use it for industrial purposes. So nuclear power, I know everybody has a fear of it. A lot of it's because people don't understand it. But what we find when people come to site or we open our doors or we explain and give them a little bit more background or they see the people and meet the people that actually run the station, they usually end up walking away with a little bit more comfort around nuclear power. Now, I, I remember that uh, Nova Scotia considered uh, nuclear power, you know, in the past and decided to uh, um, not go that route. And it's, it's uh, I don't know if there are other places in the land of Canada that considered using nuclear power. Uh, but, you know, uh, what is the big hesitation? Obviously, it's costly to get it going, but what is the big hesitation? I think it's, it is costly. I think there's a public perception issue that uh, it's, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, sometimes it's difficult to get past. With that said, in New Brunswick, because we have nuclear power, we've educated people in nuclear power. We have a very favorable rating on nuclear power amongst the public's public. And typically, it's in the order of 70 to 80 percent in favor of Point of Pro. But you have you have events around the world like Chernobyl and Fukushima, and you cannot talk about nuclear power without talking about those events. And a lot of times people are silent on it, which doesn't help. So when we go out and talk to the public, we talk about those events. Those events were very specific reactor designs, especially Chernobyl was a defective design. And typically, it's basically a, a breach of safety procedure protocol and or all of the above. And what I'm trying to say is Chernobyl and Fukushima were completely preventable. They were preventable. And, uh, you know, basically the, you know, humans uh, created that situation. Even Fukushima, everybody blames it on the tsunami, but they knew, the company knew that the emergency generators were too low. They knew the tsunami wall wasn't high enough. They knew, and uh, and they didn't do anything about it because they were technically arrogant. So, again, back to the point, nuclear accidents are preventable, but that's also why we're in favor of the small modular reactors because the small modular reactors, the one we're advocating for, can help prevent the meltdown. And in some cases, are advocating that we can eliminate the possibility of a meltdown, 
prevent the radiological release beyond the actual property line around the small modular reactor. And we can, what we call walk away safe, passively cooled, simplistic, so that the, the safety features are built right into the reactor itself. So it wants to shut down. So the operators can literally walk away. That's why we call it walk away safe. Now, the ARC unit, ARC Clean Energy Canada, is based on the EBR2 design in the United States. Ran for 30 years with an 80% capacity factor. And they actually did the walk away safe test that you can Google it or you can YouTube it and uh, actually watch it. And, and this reactor is based on that design. So when people say, you know, that these designs aren't mature or, you know, they're just on paper, hocus pocus, that's not true. You know, the, uh, the ARC unit has a significant legacy design around it. The Multex unit also has some legacy design, but not as much as the ARC, but uh, we are working on the research and development. So probably getting a little bit ahead of the, the, uh, the narrative today, but uh, it's that's, all. That's all uh, great information. Uh, let's just talk about small modular uh, reactors for a second. Um, uh, and, and obviously their capacity is uh, uh, lower. Can you give us a, a, an idea of uh, what small modular reactors are all about and, 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 and the power capacity that is generated from these SMRs uh, relative to larger scale reactors? Sure. So first off, people say, well, you know, small modular reactors are new. Well, I mentioned to you that I was on submarines and submarines have small modular reactors. That's what they are. So they've been around a long time. But there's different markets, different scales for the small modular reactors. There's the very small modular reactor, one to five megawatts. And that's really conducive to very small industrial and or Northwest territories, you know, uh, group mining, so forth. Then there's the 10 to 30 megawatt range that may be conducive to a large scale mining operation or industrial application. Then, with, then there's the market of on-grid, and that's where we are in New Brunswick. It's 100 megawatts to 300 megawatts. And typically, you know, we're, obviously our goal is to build a first-of-a-kind a, a unit to get it going. But when you, when you look at these in the future, you look at them potentially as two-packs, four-packs, six-packs, eight-packs in order to get the order of magnitude or scale that you would get from a conventional 600 to 1200 megawatt nuclear power plant. So, you know, why the SMRs, why small modular reactors? I mentioned the safety. They're inherently safe. They're simplistic. And because they're simplistic, they drive the cost down. And, I, I'm, you know, a Gen 2 reactor that we operate today may have 155,000 components with 6,000 critical components. These small modular reactors are a thousand scale less than that. They're extremely um, small when it comes to the number of components. Small from a footprint standpoint, they're depressurized pool reactors, so they don't need the large containment because there isn't that energy that's stored within the core that's pressurized. They're high temperature, the ones we've selected, so the high temperature steam, superheated steam can be used for industrial purposes such as desalinization, hydrogen generation, ammonia generation. Because they're simplistic and the cost is down, there's a lot more flexibility on where you can place them. 
and we're trying to the whole concept is to module modularize them make them basically where you can build them in a factory and deliver them to a site to get more consistency around quality and pricing and so forth so there's a lot of advantages to small modular reactors versus taking a risk you know a large capital outlay for a mega project for building another large scale nuclear power plant could you uh, just one follow-up question? Uh, could you give us an idea about uh, how many megawatts are currently used in New Brunswick, and and what is the expectation of what SMRs would would provide in terms of uh, uh, of a replacement uh, fuel source? Sure, I'll give you some order. We are working from an integrated resource plan standpoint, but in New Brunswick, on a on a very high peak winter day. We're in the order of somewhere around 3,300 megawatts, 3,300. Now we're required to maintain a 20% reserve above that. So approximately 4,000 megawatts in New Brunswick. From clean sources, hydro, nuclear, biomass, wind, solar imports, typically we're around 1,900 megawatt from a supply standpoint. But from our fossil supply standpoint, we're about 2,100 megawatts with Beldoon, Colson Cove, Mill Cove, Bayside, so forth. Now, I'm not saying we need to replace all the fossil fuel with nuclear. And that's one point I really want to make here because there's, there's these camps that, you know, all renewable, you can't do it with nuclear. Nuclear, you can't do it. You know, it, it's, it's not either or. It's all of the above. The amount of electricity we're going to need, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that, is going to be tremendous and we need renewables but we also need something to backstop it we need that balance that balance so that 2100 megawatts in the province that we need to look at long term on how we're going to replace it and or how we're going to utilize it for example i'll just say natural gas may be here for an extended period of time but may only be used for peaking during certain certain hours Anyways, we're not exactly sure. We're trying to work all that out uh, with the federal government. But in the meantime, we know we need we have a large, on the order of thousands of megawatts of capacity that we need to replace over time, and nuclear will be part of it. Brett, I wanted to ask you a question about the market for SMR technology. I mean, obviously with CANDU, it was CANDU. Uh, but now we have two different companies. You mentioned earlier, ARC and Multex, uh, looking at, technologies in New Brunswick, but if you go around the world, there's many, many companies in the United States, UK, Europe, even China developing SMRs. So I guess the question from a market perspective for you is, is there room in the market for multiple SMR technologies or multiple SMR, different types of SMR companies, or do you see there's going to be some sort of consolidation in the future where you might get down to just one or two or three big players deploying these SMRs around the world? So I do believe there'll be a consolidation. I don't believe there's going to be dozens of different types of reactors, but there definitely will be multiple reactors. There may be five or six. As I mentioned, there's different markets, there's different sizes, different vendors, but even on grid, I'll give you the order of magnitude. And uh, I had mentioned that SNC Lavalin put out a very good engineering study on engineering net zero. And within Canada alone, they're predicting conservatively that we may go from a 500 terawatt hour annually to 1500 terawatt hours annually 
and to put that in perspective, Point the Pro, which is a large part of our generation, is five terawatt hours annually. So I think last year we put out 5.1. So to you know, the order of magnitude of the infrastructure that needs to be up, built out to not only replace fossil fuels, but to electrify, to be able to enable, to have clean electricity, clean fuels, to provide what we need to move forward from manufacturing, heating, transportation, you know, even agriculture, you name it. We're going to have to lead the way for that clean, in, clean energy and clean fuel. So I think there's, answer the question, there's more than enough room, and I think there'll be a need for, you know, multiple reactor vendors. Um, to be able to supply what we're going to need going forward. It's not going to be, like I said, dozens, but it will be a, a handful. So one of the, the sort of questions around SMRs is on timing. Um, you know, opponents will say, look, we've got the wind and solar technology now. We should just deploy all that and not worry about SMRs. And I appreciate your comment earlier about how they're not mutually exclusive, that you need a mix of, of technologies here. But what is the timeline here for SMRs? Are we talking 2030? Are we talking 2040? How long before we'll actually see shovels in the ground and, and these uh, SMRs actually being developed? I know there was one announced in Ontario not that long ago. And then the last thing here is, is there a go, no go decision? Like will MB Power at some point have to decide you know, after all things being considered whether to go or no go? Or is this basically, are you sort of pursuing a go here that, that you expect this to be uh, a part of your future in terms of energy uh, production? So uh, the first part of that, um, as far as, um, maybe you could just repeat the first part of the question again. Just, time, just timeline, Brett. Are we talking 2030, 2035, 20, like when, when do you see nuclear energy starting to provide uh, megawatts to the grid here in New Brunswick? So the ARC unit, um, first of a kind ARC unit, will be built to Point Pro, And right now, all our schedules indicate that we will start commissioning in very, very late 2029. And we'll go through commissioning and get on the grid in 2030. We want to, as we build, the plan, and build and plan the first unit, we will also build and plan on multiple units when we make that decision to build out. Um, the Moltex unit, has a little bit more research and development because it uses the used fuel from the can-do units we have here on site. There's some research going on presently uh, with Chalk River and the U and UNB, University of New Brunswick. And so we have a little more work to do there, but we believe that will come in uh, online within the mid-2030s. Uh, so I just want to mention also, some people say, well, okay, that's a little late. Well, it's not. You're building out in the 2030s, the 2040s. North America build the whole nuclear infrastructure that we have presently in a decade, in a little over a decade. And once we modularize and start building these small modular reactors, we can build out that infrastructure in time to support net zero by 2050. Now, as part of the second part of the question, as far as go, no go. There will be a point at which we have to make a decision. We're doing a tremendous amount of work on engineering. 
we are committed to these reactors, but we, we will have to make a business decision as we continue on looking at the finances, the business case, the cost of levelized cost of electricity, and um, anyways, we'll look through all of that and also integrate it with our plan overall across New Brunswick and hopefully, hopefully Atlantic Canada, and uh, and we'll make a decision on whether we're going to move forward. And if we move forward, then how many units are we going to move forward with? Uh, you, you've already mentioned that uh, to get to net zero by 2050, you're going to need everything, uh, all the renewables, wind and solar and SMRs. I, I wonder if you can, uh, you know, what's your thinking right now in terms of the proportion of, um, of the energy that will be produced by SMRs in New Brunswick? Yeah, it's a great question. And we're still working on that answer. I'll give you, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a two-sided answer. One is we all know we're working on the Atlantic Loop. So we're working on some integrated regional power distribution. So a lot of that will depend on that, if that comes to fruition and we can take advantage of basically hydro in the north. And that'll change the portfolio of how much nuclear we need in the south. If that doesn't work out, then it comes if it comes strictly to a provincial solution, then the answer is going to be a little bit different. And I really what I would advocate people to do is look at what has been successful. Look at the countries like France, Sweden, Finland. Um, look at countries that have, or even Ontario, look, look at countries that have a good split between renewables and nuclear. And you'll find it's typically around 60-40, 50-50, somewhere in that regard. But, but the renewables need to be backed up with some consistent power source. Storage is coming along and NB Power is involved with storage. Battery storage is extremely limited, especially when it comes to grid scale. Really only talking about frequency and peak, peaking for a very short period of time. It's very expensive. But there's CO2 storage, there's thermal storage and solar salts. There's all kinds of storage out there. I can really get you through a day or through some of the peaking on partially on, on uh, part of the day. In the end, if we have an ice storm that takes things out, you know, some of the you know, renewables or we don't have the sun or wind or whatever for three or four days, you're going to need something to backstop it. And that's really where the nuclear comes in. I think my vision would be that in the future, we don't talk about just nuclear or renewables. The nuclear are integrated with renewables on an energy farm. And you have the capability of using that energy, whether it's supplying the grid, storing it, and or generating ammonia or hydrogen. Yeah. So again, I'm just going to press you a little bit on the um, megawatts that are likely. Let's 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 just pie in the sky. Uh, in 30 years, what? How much megawatts could likely be produced by these SMRs in uh, New Brunswick, based on what you know today? Well, based on what I know today, um, I would say just for grid scale, what we're looking at presently is somewhere in the order of 700 megawatts. Okay, so that that's basically uh, another LaPro. Plus LaPro. Yeah, yeah, but that's like doubling the size of LaPro. That's correct. Yeah. And, 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 and that's just very, very preliminary. Sure. Like we're right now. 
You know, you, you mentioned, and, and we've had some discussions already um, in our previous podcast with, uh, about the Atlantic Loop. Uh, and obviously, you, you, you referred to the fact that if that were to happen, that might change the composition of the energy sources that might be used. Uh, you know, what do you think about the Atlantic Loop in general? Do you think it's actually something that, that will happen? I think it will in time. I think it's going to need to happen in time. And then uh, uh, just a final question on this series is, is there an export potential using SMRs in the future? Yes, there is. There's an export potential. Um, what we're developing here is really a Gen 4 Plus. It's uh, these advanced reactors. And presently, we have the lead in North America, I believe, um, on the Gen 4 Plus reactors. There'll be an export market. We've had a lot of interest from Europe um, and other places around the world uh, around the potential. So people are watching. People are calling. We're interfacing. Um, they're waiting to see if we get through, as we get through vendor design review phase two with the uh, nuclear regulator here in uh, Canada. And we believe there will be a tremendous export market. I wanted to ask you about the future market for electricity. I think this is a question that's not really being answered. Everybody's talking about replacing existing coal-fired plants, replacing existing fossil fuel-based uh, electricity. But it seems to me just a high level. We've got to electrify all the cars, all the trucks, all the fishing boats, all the homes that are powered by uh, natural gas or, base or, uh, or uh, home heat, uh, heating oil. So we've got this massive need to electrify everything. Well, I understand hydrogen is part of the solution here too, but in general, we're trying to electrify just about everything. Can you give us a sense of how much more electricity do you think we're going to need? I mean, now the Premier's talking about having a million people living in New Brunswick within 18 years. You know, Premier Houston in Nova Scotia is talking about 2 million living in that province by 2060. Obviously, this means growth and it means we're going to need more electricity. So do you have any sense or just could you give our listeners an idea of how much more electricity we're going to need in the coming years? I can only speak to it generally because there's so many variables associated with what you just mentioned. I will mention that when you look at the aspect of electrification, as you mentioned, and there's a lot of emphasis around a hydrogen economy. Well, what's, what is the energy generating that hydrogen? Where is it coming from? Is it electricity? Is it, is it a chemical process? Is it clean fuels? Where does the clean fuels come from? Is it generated through from clean electricity? And again, where is that coming from? So again, it, it's going to be a combination, in my mind, between renewables and nuclear. But they have to lead the pack. Um, and, but then it's offset with efficiencies, if we can get to a regional solution, it's also offset with efficiencies from everyday use of electricity, you know, whether people have the capability of, you know, monitoring when they're using electricity, decreasing around peak times, insulation, you know, all the things we can do, residential solar, all the things we can do to try to offset uh, that increasing electricity. But most of the experts at this point in time are saying that electricity demand will typically increase three to five percent. But as I said, there's so many variables that I can't give you an exact number at this time. 
we are looking at it. We're trying to predict it. And it's, it's also dependent upon how, many, how much manufacturing you have within a province. But I know it'll increase in time. So again, we need to be ready. And that's the point. We need to be ready and we need to start now uh, with all these different energy solutions uh, to meet this requirement. Coming back to the actual deployment of these SMRs, how would the financing work? So MB Power has quite a bit of debt right now. Would would is it too preliminary to discuss that, or 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 could you help us understand? Would you be owning these reactors, or would they be sort of uh, owned by a third party with power purchase agreements with with NB Power? How, how do you see the 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 economics of of deploying these SMRs uh, working uh, when when you get to that stage? Uh, all that is actually ongoing right now. That's one of our highest priorities as we speak. Uh, today, tomorrow, the next few months is working out the finances associated with what kind of model we can make work going forward. Um, I will say it's not going to be an entity owned completely and only by MB Power. It'll be uh, some uh, cons- cons- an owner-operator consortium. Uh, there'll be multiple owners, and we will pop- we will purchase the power back through a PPA. That's if we move forward with the project. Considering all the factors, load balancing, efficiency, obviously there's been a lot on demand side management over the last decade or more. Um, How does the full cost of nuclear energy through these SMRs compare to other sources today? And what is the expected cost differential uh, looking into the future? So, you know, nuclear is, I will say, if anything, it's a very stable cost. So let's just start with LaPro. LaPro is a very, um, even with the refurbishment and the runovers of the refurbishment, LaPro produces electricity for a very reasonable cost. It's under 10 cents uh, per kilowatt hour. Now you throw in the fact, and that's public information. You can can go look up the specifics with the EUB. all the work we're trying to do on the small modular reactors and part of the decision making when we make that decision will be based on the levelized cost. What we need to consider is what is the first of a kind cost, the first, second, third, fourth, nth of a kind cost. We believe by the fifth nth of a, nth of a kind cost, we'll, we'll get through the efficiencies and get a consistent levelized cost. Those learning curve costs need to be not put on the back of the ratepayers. We need to figure out a way to levelize that cost. There's all different mechanisms, uh, and that's one part of the financial aspect, as I mentioned, that we're looking at. How can we do this, whether it's uh, federal aid or whether it's uh, you know some kind of financing where we can spread this load over time. But either way, that's what we're looking at. But our goal is to make sure that we're under, you know, we want to come in somewhere around six to eight cents per kilowatt hour in time. We definitely want to be under you know, 10 cents per kilowatt hour for the first of a kind. Um, these are challenges. These are goals. And I believe, you know, again, I'm talking about the nuclear itself, but I think in the future, you're not going to be able to talk about just wind is this much, solar is this much, nuclear is this much, because you're going to have to look at the integrated cost. Because when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, you have to have nuclear to back it up. So if you looked at the integrated cost, of the energy on the grid. What is the integrated cost? And I can guarantee you if we're under 10 cents 20 years from now, it's going to be, it's going to be a really good deal. 
um, because energy costs are going to increase, especially if the uranium is a fairly consistent, fairly consistent uh, pricing is when it comes to buying that fuel. Um, if you had to buy some other form of fuel, I don't think it's going to be, you know, look at natural gas these days. So anyways, the point is our goal is to get it within the realm so that the integrated cost is reasonable for the customers of New Brunswick and Atlanta, Canada. Um, that'll be one of the gates that we look at going forward with the uh, small modular reactors. Uh, just to follow up on that uh, question, because, uh, you know, uh, again, most people don't understand how much they're paying for their electricity unless they're paying really close attention. Most people don't know the cost per kilowatt hour. I think in Nova Scotia, it's probably, I don't know, it's 15 cents an hour, I think, or something like that today. Uh, and, you know, uh, one of the things that uh, that David and I recognize is that the, the public needs to be brought along on the education side about the cost of energy and, and the choices that, you know, are available to um, organizations like yours in, 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 in providing electricity to them as customers. And that's why we, we want to ask this question, because there's there are trade-offs, obviously. And if, if you know if you, you if you're saying that if your goal is to get to six or eight cents per kilowatt hour, that is that's an amazing cost. And, and the other thing that I think your listener our listeners probably don't understand is that uh, LePro is a good example. It's been around since what 1980, something like that. And the cost really hasn't really changed so much over the 40 years that it's been around. It's been very stable, as you mentioned, and. Uh, and, and, and it provides long-term stability of cost. And, and I think that that's one advantage, is it not, of uh, nuclear power in any, in any regard, that you once you put it in place, you know, there's not a lot of price es- escalation that happens over time. That's correct. It's very stable. Uh, you know, the price of uranium doesn't fluctuate that much. It's fairly inexpensive relative to other fuels. So, yes, everything you said is true. It's a very consistent base uh, electricity uh, from a cost perspective. Well, I just want to get back to one one point then. If that is the case, you know, you, you said that, uh, yourself that you might expect to get 700 megawatts or the equivalent of another uh, LaPro in New Brunswick. Why wouldn't, you do, why wouldn't you want to do more if the price rate is so low? Well, again, it may be a possibility in the future, but again, you know, we, we need to... <laughs> We need to focus on getting the first of a kind built sure. and build infrastructure around it. And we're starting to look at potentially additional, you know, nth of a kind. Um, but again, it may be something in the future, but right now we're focusing on the near term of getting these built. Yeah, because wind energy, Brad, if I'm not mistaken, is getting down to sort of three, four or five cents per kilowatt hour an hour because of scale. Now, that's not including what you said around the need for battery storage backup or or natural gas plants or even SMRs to offset when the wind's not blowing. But just the cost per kilowatt hour of wind energy is getting quite low these days, isn't it? It is. And so that's why we do want to build renewables. We want to take advantage of renewables. But when you look at the, you know, a very cold winter morning when we're at our peak, there was no wind and there was no solar. So, again, you know, again, not anti-renewables. I'm pro-renewables and MB Power is pro-renewables. But you have to look at the grid. You have to understand the grid and the grid needs to be supported. Nobody wants to go through blackouts and brownouts. 
And so it has to be backed up with reliable electricity as a base load. Um, so when you look at the, the intermittent sources and you look at the cost, it's not really, I'm going to say true, just looking at only the cost of wind when, it comp when you try to compare it to the, you know, putting it on the grid because it has to be backed up with some other form of electricity. And that's why I'm advocating you really need to look at the integrated cost. Other than fossil fuels, um, are there any other sort of power sources that provide what nuclear energy can provide? Like does big hydro get you that or is there any, what, what's competing? Is, it, is grid scale battery storage competing with that? What's competing with nuclear energy for that reliable base load power demand in the future? Well, it, it's not grid scale batteries, it's extremely expensive. And even, the, even, you know, in order to build something on the order of Point Le Pro, it's, uh, you know, you're talking like 1300 tractor trailer trucks first full of uh, batteries, which you'd have to maintain as well. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to get the specifics, but that's not really the, the competition. And, and again, I don't really want a competition. I want to build all of the above. But if anything, you know, you look at hydro, hydro, if you have large scale hydro, obviously that's uh, can produce consistent year round hydro, then that that is uh, uh, can complement uh, nuclear and or um, supply what nuclear can if you have that scale. The hydro pretty much has been developed in eastern Canada to the extent it's going to be from a grid scale standpoint. That's the issue. Hmm. So again, if we can take advantage of what's being developed now with the Atlantic Loop, that's great. Again, it's, I'm not, I think everybody knows there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into building transmission lines, never mind provincial agreements, everything. Tremendous amount of work to be done around the Atlantic Loop. Anyways, back to the point. Does it really compete with nuclear? Is it on the scale? It's on the scale of nuclear, but again, I don't really want to get into competing with nuclear. Right. So I wanted to ask you about the economic development opportunity. When this idea was put forward, the provincial government put $10 million into, and I think they put another round of funding into ARC and Moltex uh, and UNB. And I think the goal was always to have an actual economic development related sort of cluster of activity. In other words, you would have engineering firms that knew how to do the technology. You would have construction firms that knew how to build these things. And in fact, I believe Moltex and ARC have actually estimated how much of their supply chain could be addressed by New Brunswick suppliers. So I just wanted to ask you to just give us a little sense of what the economic development opportunity is there. But I, I also wanted to point out that right now, New Brunswick gets the largest share of GDP from energy of any province in the country, with the exception of oil and gas producers. And that's because we have a refinery, we have an LNG plant, because NB Power produces almost all of its own power needs. So we get a lot of economic activity. There's a lot of high paid jobs in New Brunswick from the energy sector. And one of my fears is over the next 20 or 30 years, we'll lose all that and we'll end up just being an importer of power from Quebec and we'll lose all that economic benefit. Now, if we do, and it's to the benefit of the ratepayer, in other words, the ratepayer is paying the lowest possible rate, then maybe that I hold my nose and accept that. But I did like the idea of, you know, this SMR uh, opportunity as a, a way to build capacity for economic development here in New Brunswick. Do you have any thoughts for our listeners on what that potential could be? 
yeah, the potential is in billions of dollars. So we've done the, you know, we've done the economic assessment. Uh, we've we've determined if we get these small modular reactors up and running in Brunswick, what the economic benefit could be to the province. And we've put those numbers out, and they are available. You know, between Opportunity New Brunswick and the Organization of Canadian Nuclear Industries (OCNI), they've done a tremendous amount of work. The problem is just appointed uh, Wayne Power as the provincial secretariat. One of his responsibilities is basically the small modular reactor cluster and also building out the supply chain. And so I would highly recommend that you talk to Wayne Power on some of the opportunities and what they plan to do to build that out in New Brunswick. But there's potentially billions of dollars here of revenue building up this infrastructure. There is an opportunity to export power. There is, um, we've done the supply chain assessments, as you've mentioned. We believe both assessments, both companies came out approximately 50 to 60% capacity within the province to build some of these uh, 50 or 60% of the components for the small modular reactors. And with some capacity building, it could be even higher. So there is opportunity here. And we've had more than one supply chain event to try to educate people on the opportunity. They've been extremely well attended and received. And uh, so it's an opportunity that New Brunswick really needs to grab and embrace. It's an opportunity that only comes along once in a lifetime, maybe to your point, David. And don't lose it. One of, the, one of our objectives, Brent, is to, is to provide our listeners with a better understanding of the opportunities that exist uh, uh, across Atlantic Canada. Obviously, uh, New Brunswick is taking the lead on SMRs. I have to assume that the other provinces are paying close attention in Atlantic Canada to what you're doing. <laughs> At least I hope they are. <laughs> but, you know, one of the big advantages of SMRs is that the scale allows even small provinces like PEI to uh, consider this as a, 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 you know, a way of generating electricity. I, I just wondered if, uh, if, if people in the other Atlantic provinces are ch- kind of will follow your lead. Do you, do you believe that if you can prove it works, <laughs> do you think the other provinces are likely to come behind you and, and do the same thing? I think the other provinces will uh, get involved uh, in time and some sooner than others. For example, we, we've done a tremendous amount of discussion with PEI. We already supplied nuclear power to PEI across the border, and they're very interested in small modular reactors. Nova Scotia, we've had several discussions with Nova Scotia. Again, I, I think in time, uh, once we, to your point, prove that we can get it up and running, I think they'll they'll get involved. I think it's an integrate. I think it's there's a potential for an integrated Atlantic Canada solution, and I don't think anybody at this point is counting it out from our discussions. So I think there's a tremendous potential here all the way across Atlantic Canada. You know, I, I think there'll be, there'll be, when we look at the economic uh, supply chain, the, the economic development, supply chain development, you know, when I, when I think about LaPro and we've done the economic feasibility, we've done the economic impact assessments around LaPro, we impact every single, every single corner of this province. As we build out the SMRs and the infrastructure around the small modular reactors, we'll influence everyone in Atlantic Canada and elsewhere in Canada. And we've even had some commitment. We've already had some engineering companies already open up offices in New Brunswick, in St. John, uh, around the small modular reactors. And we're seeing more and more interest almost weekly. It's really building a tremendous amount of momentum. 
just a quick follow up uh, for those who may be interested. You mentioned a couple of times that uh, a lot of information is available on um, on the company's website. Do you want to just uh, talk about how people could a- access that information if they wanted to get more detail? If you went to you know www.mbpower.com and you there is a link on there that goes to the small modular reactors, and then it'll you know obviously tear you off into that. There's a tremendous amount of information. We put videos on there. We've had uh, frequently asked questions. Anyways, probably more information on that website than you would want. (laughs) (laughs) A tremendous amount of information on that website. Please visit that website. We put a lot of energy into that. Um, I know for a fact, and again, I highly recommend you talk to Wayne Power, that uh, they're working on a website provincially for the uh, ESMR cluster. So please talk to Wayne. Uh, Brett, last question. I, I guess in its simplest form, like what's in it for NB Power? In other words, why are you working with ARC and Moltex? Why are you putting so much time and effort into this? Why wouldn't you just wait until the technology has been sort of finalized in some other jurisdiction and then just import it here? Like what, what, why is NB Power sort of taking a lead, almost an economic development lead, if I'm, if I may say so on this SMR opportunity um, is, could you give us an answer to that question just to, just to end our conversation today? Well, I think you actually almost answered it. Really, you know, our job is to provide the customers with clean, consistently priced electricity 24 seven, right? That's our goal. And I'll, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. Could we wait? You know, you could wait, you could wait for somebody else to pass over a certain type of reactor uh, that we may want to operate. You wouldn't get the economic development from it. This is an opportunity where we have led in the Gen 4 Plus in North America and in some regards, Europe as well. And there's an opportunity here for economic development. And we also make sure that we get the safest reactor that we want to operate in the province of New Brunswick and Atlantic Canada, not something somebody else chose or politically was selected or whatnot. Our goal was to pick the most versatile, the safest, um, you know, Gen 4 plus reactor that it was out there in the industry. And we still believe, you know, we, we picked the two very good reactors uh, to serve that purpose. And as you said, this, and I said it before, this is an opportunity for economic development. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity for Atlanta, Canada, and New Brunswick to truly grasp this and, you know, and, uh, and help New Brunswick. Um, so, you know, that's part of our, our mandate as well. And I, and I think uh, kind of checks all the boxes. Well, Brett, thanks for joining us today on the Insight Podcast. We wish you all the best as you work on this exciting new opportunity. And we'll check back with you in, in a few months or, or longer just to see how you're making out on your progress. Thanks, David. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.